The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. During his football career, famously Gary Lineker was never once booked, which means he was never suspended from any games in which he was eligible to play. He was suspended from presenting Match of the Day last Saturday night on BBC One Television, as I think everybody knows now. But the issue was resolved today in his favour. We're joined by Nick Ferrari, presenter of LBC Radios. Uh, Nick Ferrari at Breakfast, good evening to you, Nick. And uh, tell us, please, how has this been resolved? I think it's all over, and it is now. Lineker won the BBC nil. Uh, what will happen is that Gary Lineker will be back to do match of the day. He's also going to be back to do... We've got some FA Cup games coming up here, which is the big knockout cup, and the FA had even suggested that they might sue the BBC if Mr Lineker was not back in position. How are they doing this? Very simply, there is going to be a full review into how presenters handle their social media accounts when they're with the BBC. Why is that so important? This, this really was a problem that was coming down the way quite a long time for the BBC. The, the difference with Gary Lineker is, as a sports presenter, he was not held to the same level as, say, Fiona Bruce, George Alagaya, whoever you want to say, who are not allowed to comment on news or political affairs. So there was a sort of anomaly. That being said, there's still a very live debate for some Conservative MPs. They think that likening their policy to the language that we heard in Nazi Germany in the 1930s is unfair, that he should still be disciplined. But peace has broken out. Gary Lineker has said that he's glad that there is uh, uh, that there's now going to be a thorough review held. The person who is going to chair the review is yet to be announced, but the peace deal is there. But it's very much, as I think as you characterise it, it's a big, big backtrack by the BBC, who managed to turn a drama, drama into a global crisis. This was second lead, second uh, biggest story, on the front page of the New York Times, an area where the BBC is desperate to be doing more work in North America. And even they were saying that they had one of their major stars in a standoff. Why did they pick on Gary Lineker when there are p- figures who present political programmes in recent years, such as Andrew Neil, uh, who is the chairman of the Spectator publication, which is pretty right wing in its approach, and they've been he's been allowed to continue tweeting at will, and the likes of uh, Alan Sugar, uh, the presenter of The Apprentice, has also tweeted his political points of view without any uh, measures been taken against them. Hands up, Gov. Probably the media is a little bit to blame. Without doubt, Gary Lineker is the jewel in the crown. He is the highest paid uh, talent, as they call presenters at the BBC, estimated to be about £1.4 million. Andrew Neil now absent from the BBC for a number of years, but you are right. He did used to let his political views be known. Lord Sugar, they would probably point to the fact that it is, albeit it's a high-profile programme, certainly on certain weeks of the year, And, of course, match of the day is on the whole of the football season. And then he does the FA Cup and then he does the Euros or the World Cup or whatever uh, the teams are in. So he's a higher profile. But you're right. It is the magnitude of it. And here's a number that your listeners might want to try on. Mr. Lineker's Twitter following is 8.6 million. Well, if you put all the newspapers that were sold in the United Kingdom this morning together, they don't come within a bull's roar of 8.6. So you are talking about the biggest, you're talking about the biggest paid star. And with a phenomenal, phenomenal following, hence the, the heft and the magnitude of the story.
there's a lot of talk about impartiality and that BBC has to show that it's utterly impartial when it comes to its presentation of the news or comment upon it. But how can it say it's impartial when it has a director general who stood as a candidate for the Tory party in local elections, when it has a chairman who was involved in donating, what was it, £400,000 sterling to the party and has also been accused of being involved in trying to negotiate an £800,000 loan for Boris Johnson at the time when he was Prime Minister shortly before he got appointed as the chairman of the BBC. The latter of those two is really ugly. The Tim Davy, yes, you're right. I mean, I, I could point you to a recent um, director general of the BBC, and I would argue probably one of the most successful, Greg Dyke, who prior to getting the job was a member of the Labour Party and was a donor to the Labour Party prior to being made director general. So the Tim Davy one, I think possibly I can give you at least a matching argument. As for the chair, Mr Sharpton, you're rightly talking about this credit line of £800,000 to a, a former uh, Conservative Prime Minister, but that apparently was not of nothing, no problems there concerning partiality or impartiality. That, for me, is very, very thin ice. And I would urge you, actually, you and your team, keep an eye on that. I, I don't think the pressure's gone away for the sh- uh, for chairman, for Mr Sharp, the chairman. I, I think probably Tim Davey will be OK, because they can hardly afford to lose both. Mr Lineker is obviously back in the fold, for which I think viewers will be very grateful. But I wouldn't pay a lot of money on uh, Richard Sharp's survival. But impartiality is a very difficult thing to police, isn't it? Because even by taking the action against Gary Lineker on the grounds of breaching the impartiality rules, it implied almost a support for a government position by the BBC, a form of endorsement of it. And that's what's excited the New York Times, how the BBC has managed to negotiate itself into this position where it is almost seen to be a cheerleader for a policy that, should we be polite, is at the very least very divisive. And that's what this review has to take on board. When these rules were originally set in, so social media that wasn't even invented. They hadn't even thought of it. And with it was fairly easy. And then even when it began, but I point you to that number again, when you have your biggest star with a following of more than eight and a half million, hanging presumably on his every word, able to whip up the support, as I'm sure you've covered in your news bulletins over the weekend, there was no real match of the day or match of the day too, because all his colleagues, this shows the the support for the bloke as well, the, 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 the esteem in which he's held, that all the others, former footballers, Alan Shearer, Ian Wright, they all said, no, not for us, thank you. That, that's the size of talent and headache the BBC were dealing with. But how much damage do you think has this done to the reputation of the BBC? Because it strikes me, Nick, that its enemies, particularly amongst the Tory party and maybe elements on the right who always claim it to be left-leaning and biased, not necessarily with any evidence to support that, must be delighted now to see that the BBC has undermined itself and at the same time has perhaps given an awful lot more uh, prominence to the pro-immigrant or pro stopping immigration position that they want. Spot on. Absolutely. Political damage, as you say, incalculable. But I want to come also to the global reputation and take you back to that story. This story has travelled the world. For the New York Times, which is, as I don't need to tell you, is quite a left-leaning paper, hugely influential in the market in the United States, which is where they want to get to, to North America. I think that side, the global damage... I think will be around for a long time to come. And I'll go as far as to say, in part, it's irreparable. One final one, and this is separate. Uh, There's a story today emerging about the 
British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's private heated swimming pool. Tell us about this. This is a huge mansion that the Prime Minister has bought in Richmond when it became his constituency. This is Richmond in Yorkshire, by the way, uh, before your listeners think, isn't there one in uh, Surrey or South West London? There is. Uh, there's also one in Yorkshire, very much a, a country seat. He's there. He has a huge mansion there. I think he paid, and this was not some years ago, somewhere in the region about £1.5 million. He had a swimming pool there. He's had it extended. Now, to provide the heat that is required... There's had to be the national grid, the provider of electricity in the UK, has had to put in its own substation. The cost is believed to run into the tens of thousands of pounds. I need to stress, Mr. Sunak is picking, picking up the bill, so there's been no additional cost to the people of Yorkshire for the implementation of this new substation. But this comes at a difficult time. More than 350 swimming pools in the United Kingdom have some have been closed. Some are on restricted hours, and many others are saying they're going to have to restrict the hours because of the bill in heating the water. Meanwhile, you have a prime minister, I say again, the 222nd richest man in the country, so he can afford to put in a substation. But he, let's say to him, he's in hot water in more ways than one over this one. Nick Ferrari, presenter Nick Ferrari at Breakfast on LBC Radio. Thank you very much for being with us here on The Last Word of Today FM. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today FM.